Untitled Beatles podcast. Monday, Memorial Day was Harrison's uh, fifth birthday, and that morning we went to, I, I drove to Mariano's to pick up ice and some stuff for the little uh, party. We had a party in a park. We're not assholes. We didn't have people over. And um, I pull out of Mariano's, and I turn on XRT, and they're playing uh, Beautiful Boy, and it's crackling like vinyl, and they had just played side one of Double Fantasy on vinyl. Oh, wow. For, um, they were doing album sides. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, when else? Like, that's old school XRT. So I missed it, but they must have played all the Yoko songs, too. I guess, Because yeah. they do complete album sides. That was kind of cool. That is cool. That is cool. And they, yeah, and they played it off the vinyl. Like, yeah. yeah, I worked in radio in the 90s and we did not use vinyl ever. We used uh, CDs and then carts for our commercials. And then the one song was a Frank Marino song that was on a cart. <laughs> that and uh, Ride Captain Ride was on a cart because, like, I don't know, they couldn't get the CD for it. Blues Image? <laughs> Yeah, Blues Image. <laughs> uh, when I interned at GN in 95, Casey, this one's for you, all the stuff for Cubs games were on carts. So they'd yeah. have, like, you put the cart and you'd hear, Sweet, Sweet City Woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things I had to do in afternoons was uh, dub the uh, commercials that we did in the studio from reel to reel onto cart. That was one of my jobs. And... Uh, I, I guess I miss it. I don't know. <laughs> At the time, I didn't like doing it. <laughs> Casey put an edit in when I mentioned Appleton's Rock Station, WAPL. He put the 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 station ID in one of our shows and it made me laugh so much. It's true. Like, <laughs> the Apple, home of the Fox Valley, Appleton's. F- go fuck your thinking about being gay. <laughs> fuck you. Appleton's yeah. home for rock. It's like, they play the hardest rock I've ever heard in my life. Heterosexual rock only. <laughs> No fat chicks. <laughs> Want a dick in your hand? Keep it your own. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go, Ram. Everybody's turning on 105.7 WAPL, Wisconsin's rock station. Oh, hey, happy 50th Ram anniversary, TJ. Oh, my God. Thank you, Tony. Happy uh, 41th for Press to Play. I don't even know. It was 86. I can't, can't do the math. I think math's stupid. I think people who read things are dumb, and math is dumb, and I'm on heroin. <laughs> heroin. Heroin. <laughs> well, from heroin out, we're going to be hey. talking about... Uh, <laughs> Still got it. You can take the improv it. out of the man, but you can't take the man. Out. Freeze, folks. Let's get a suggestion. Tony's going to rap for you. We're going to make a rap. I need a beat. <laughs> Over aggressive white improviser. Bicky, 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 Hey, man, you, you went to Stanford. Shut up. It is. It's the 50th anniversary of one of our favorite solo Beatle records, Ram by Paul McCartney. Paul and Linda McCartney, right? Yeah. And the only album credited to Paul and Linda McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just thank you for joining us on this. So uh, honestly, I think this is my second favorite. This comes for me after Plastic Ono. This is my second favorite solo record. Ah, oh, it's tough. Plastic. I love Plastic Ono. I love All Things Must Pass. Um, I love the Good Night Tonight 12-inch maxi single. Um, 
God, oh my goodness! Maxi single. I do. I was. I was. The, I was. That always made me uncomfortable because obviously it's you know you think I would think of maxi pads, right? Wouldn't you? No, Tony, because my mind's out of the gutter. Champion gymnast Kathy Rigby for Stay Free Maxi Pads. You know, you've never heard a celebrity talk about feminine protection on TV before. Well, I wanted to be the first because I think it's perfectly natural, especially when it's Stay Free Maxi Pads. Yeah, Tony, uh, Ram is my second or third favorite solo album. It's tough because I love All Things Must Pass so much. And what a year for 50th and 51st anniversaries because of COVID. Of course, Let It Be got pushed to this year, not released yet. I think it's coming in August, but we just did Plastic Ono Band, the 50th release 51 years later, the anniversary. All Things Must Pass is forthcoming as well. But Ram released in its 50th anniversary via a half-speed mastered vinyl only they already did an archive collection in 2012 so even though this is just like a vinyl issue that is 35 36 bucks for those of you like me who've got to own fucking nine copies of ram on vinyl i've got the apple i've got the capital i've got the columbia i've got the mono i've got the 2012 reissue i now have the half speed master i do i've the because the mono is really rare they issued it briefly in 2012 in like a oh, okay. in like a plain white sleeve that like for radio purposes only they kept true to the to the original um promotional thing that ram was issued in mono in 71 just for am radio stations right but it wasn't really a commercial thing but yeah they did a reissue of it and it's part of the uh, archive box set but yeah i love this record you know band on the run gets all the love and you know i love flowers in the dirt and i love flaming pie i've got a weird thing for broad street i love all the mccartney solo output with the exception of driving rain that's the only one that i really struggle with but i think ram is paul mccartney's best album is that fair? Is that blasphemous to band on the runheads to call Ram his greatest work as a solo artist? I mean, sure. Yeah, I suppose it is. But also, like, you know, band on the runheads can say that uh, band on the run is his best record, you know, so coexist, right? Yeah, that your favorite bumper sticker. <laughs> you know, they don't use a swastika for the S on coexist. Just pointing that out uh, again, because everyone's woke. <laughs> that's the problem be crazy <laughs> by the way for all you young aspiring political people woke basically means being kind to people who are different from you the more you fucking know just be nice it's not difficult let's do a deep dish on ram shall we I can't wait. In honor of the 50th, let's do it. And we're going to use as our audio guidepost the 2012 Archive Collection reissue. Great, great. And we'll touch on the Half Masters and all that. How about that? And we'll touch on Past Masters for those idiots who thought it was a Greatest Hits album. But no Beatles Greatest Hits album features Come Gimme Dinah Hand. (laughs) But Sleep Deek, yes. Always, right. It was released May 17th of 1971. It reached number one in the UK, the Netherlands, and Canada. In that order, I'm not sure. Uh, it made it to number two in the US. Uh, uh, Carol King's Tapestry kept it off the top of the charts. Oh, we gotta um, be awoke and talk about a chick? <laughs> yeah, people were getting woke 50 years ago. It's such a great record, by the way. Tapestry's lovely. It is, yeah, yeah classic. Uh, a lot of people considered this record to be the first indie pop record. Uh, I, I think because it has like a homey feel, 
Uh, a lot of the songs are not trying to play to like a giant arena. They're, it's kind of a more personal record, perhaps. Yeah, and it feels kind of lo-fi. Some people call this the first Iggy Pop record. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Some people call this the third Jethro Tull album. <laughs> you know, I mean, it takes all kinds. <laughs> Sitting on a park bench. Why is that a lamp? <laughs> When this album was released in 71, the reviews were terrible. Yeah. It sold copies. People greeted this album with disdain, whether it was, who's the famous Village Voice critic whose name I can never get right? Robert Robert, Christgau. Robert Christgau, who's kind of an asshole. He's kind of like, you know, the Hunter S. Thompson of asshole music critics. Like, (laughs) I, I get it. Just kind of a dick. But even like Ringo hated this record. John hated this record. This record was derided and it was only in the last like 30 years or so that people were like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is brilliant. I bring that up because this was not called the first indie pop record back in 71. No. No. It took to like the 90s and the lo-fi era for this to be kind of labeled as such. Totally. Yeah, I've got some quotes actually. Rolling Stone, incredibly inconsequential monumentally irrelevant. This is uh, John Landau. He went on to say that uh, John Lennon had held the reins in on McCartney's cutsy pie, sick, cutsy pie, florid attempts. Oh, cutsy pie, (laughs) you're making me cruisy. (laughs) Yeah, that would be an example of one of his cutsy pie, florid attempts at pure rock muzak. And that was Rolling Stone. Playboy said that it was like watching someone juggle five guitars. It's fairly impressive, but you keep wondering why he bothers. The NME, the enemy, called it an excursion into almost unrelieved tedium and, quote, the worst thing Paul McCartney has ever done. Uh, NME, by the way, does stand for New Musical Erectile Dysfunction. So they kind of have a chip on there. You know, they're going through a thing right now. Doctor, I have NMED. You know how hot it can be. And like you said, even the Beatles didn't like it. Ringo said, quote, he seems to be going strange, <laughs> which I think that's a, I think he's I think he's right. It's just people chose not to embrace it. And then John thought it was awful. Thanks, Ringo, because Goodnight Vienna's held up beautifully. <laughs> that's not go. Ooh, he's not going strange, Ringo. Come on. <laughs> Well, let's think about the in the context of what was going on in 1971, right? So right around here, I think Who's Next came out, and that was around the time. So Pete Townsend was trying to make rock almost like this religion. He was doing that Lifehouse project where it was supposed to be like the audience and the band living together in this like bubble and like communing. And he was searching for like this perfect note that would unite audience and performer. This is kind of where prog rock was starting to get popular, where like musicianship was being valued and like the the 20 minute guitar solo, like people thought they could save the world with like a really bitching guitar solo. (laughs) So you put Paul's record next to that and it seems like it's like not, quote, important. Oh, here's an album I love, but like, I'm sorry, Ram's not Zeppelin 4. Yeah. I don't understand it, especially because of how well Ram has held up. It seemed like... There was a real public thing where it was cool to bash Paul McCartney. 
Yes. And that's unfortunate. And because John Lennon had come out so strong and because George had come out so strong and the Ringo album, when did the Ringo album come out? Was that 70? Sentimental Journey? No, uh, self-titled Ringo, the the one that had all the hits. Is that 73? Um, I'm going to look it up because I I don't know that one. Yeah. Stop! It was 73, yes. Awesome. So even though that album was yet to come, George and John had already made these massive artistic statements. Paul's first album, which was Ramshackle and Homemade and Lo-Fi, and I think people were thinking, great, Paul's going to come back with Abbey Road. And he didn't. He, He came back with Ram. And in retrospect... It is the perfect follow-up album to McCartney. This album couldn't have happened without McCartney coming first. And while there isn't a song arguably as good as maybe I'm amazed on it, this is brimming with creativity and musicianship and hooks in every single song. The production of this album is great. And, you know, there's many moments on this record where Paul is kind of giving John a fuck you. And we'll get into those (laughs) a little bit later. Yeah. But... Before we get into the songs, if you look at the back cover, something that I... And I didn't get this record until this record came out on CD, January of 1988. I remember it came out at the same time as the first McCartney CD did. I had this on CD before Past Masters 1 or 2 were ever released. Oh, wow. This this was part of my rotation as a 13-year-old. And looking at the cover... There's a beetle fucking another beetle on the back, on the back cover of this. Yeah. And I remember even as a kid being like, whoa, God, that, that's a statement. What does that mean? <laughs> and then you hear too many people, and then you hear Dear Boy, and a few of the other references on this. So, yeah, this album isn't just cutesy. It's also Paul making a statement. It might not be as strong and direct as John did, but Paul's making a statement on this record, too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That picture, by the way, was taken by Linda. Yeah. Yeah, I think most of those photographs were taken by Linda, and then Paul kind of assembled the cover art in Los Angeles while they were doing overdubs and mixing and stuff. So it has that, it goes into the whole indie pop homespun DIY kind of aesthetic to this record. And he did take the criticism of the first record, you know, that it was kind of ramshackle, et cetera, and homemade. And so this time around, he held auditions and wanted to get like a proper band. He wasn't going to play every instrument himself except for one song. And so he held auditions in New York City in an attic on 45th Street, which is where he met New York City? (laughs) Get a rope. (laughs) Pace is made in San Antonio by folks who know what Bacani saw should taste like. Hey, this stuff's made in New York City. New New York City! Pick up the original. Pick up the pace. He met David Spinoza there. I think that's how you say that. He was like a session guy. He later went on to play on Mind Games, Yoko's Feeling the Space, and Ringo the Fourth. A great album, Ringo the Fourth. I mean, it's not (laughs) Stop and Smell the Roses great. We don't hate Ringo, by the way. He just has three or four solo albums in a row that make you sick. And I'm an old wave guy. One day, I don't know if you know old wave real well, Tony. One day we'll get into old wave. That's Joe Walsh produced, and it's a great record. I've heard that. You can find it. Yeah, I, I don't own it, but I've heard it. Like, you can get uh, whatever, YouTube copies or whatever. That, I've heard it. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, around that time, David Spinoza was the uh, guitarist for the SNL band. 1980. He was part of the whole 1980, the Dick Ebersol years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So David Spinoza also was high in demand and was replaced by Hugh McCracken. 
he was a session guy as well. He played on uh, Walk Away Renee by the Left Bank. He did the guitar solo on All By Myself by Eric Carmen. Yeah, man. The Beatle influenced Eric Carmen, later toured with Ringo and the All-Star Band. Yeah. He played on a lot of Steely Dan records. He's uh, That's him on Hey 19. He played on Brown Eyed Girl. Um, by the way, do you ever have to hear that song ever again? No, and less so now that Van Morris has become an old kook. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I'm a Van Morrison guy. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I used to refer to Moondance as like one of the most perfect albums ever made in Astro Weeks and even some of like... You know, some of the 80s stuff that many people like Wavelength, there's some good uh, later Van Morrison albums, but I have no patience for his bullshit. Yeah, you're so oppressed, Van Morrison, because you got to wear a mask at your Ireland grocery store for five months because everyone's dying. Oh, it's treason. <laughs> it's the Holocaust part two, you moron. Van Morrison, Marjorie girl. Taylor Green. Sha la 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 la. <laughs> It's true. Like I, I can't. Li- I struggle with Clapton now too. That smug song they released together. Yeah, give me good a for break. Them. Yeah, good, good for, for them. them. Congrats, <laughs> counting your millions while you're talking about being oppressed. Yeah. So there were auditions for this, and was it uh denny sewell who walked in am i getting his name right he, yeah. he played on a couple wings records after this yeah he joined wings yeah yeah he joined wings and um he walked into a basement and saw a drum kit there thought he was going to audition for like a commercial or a soundtrack record and it's paul and linda mccartney he's like oh all right and his yeah. drumming on this is great by the way too it's great great work he's a jazz drummer is that right i didn't know that yeah, yeah. i agree with you though yeah the drums on this are are, are perfect yeah. Yeah. I believe that there was a guise with these uh, auditions that it was going to be for a commercial or something, a jingle. Speaking of which, Denny Sewell later went on to drum for Happy Days and Knott's Landing. That's I, <laughs> something I never knew. Like, was he in Knott's Landing? He just drummed on the theme song. Yeah. No. Anytime you saw a drummer on Knott's Landing, that was Denny Sewell. You often saw him like, in the back. <laughs> I mean, do you remember Don Knotts Landing, where occasionally Andy would throw him up in the air and they go, oh, Don Knotts Landing. <laughs> Is Don Knotts best remembered as What's-His-Face from Andy Griffith or as Mr. Furley? Which yeah. character is Don Knotts better remembered as, do you think? I would say boomers would say Andy Griffith and Gen Xers would say Mr. Furley. So <laughs> Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went to Mars Cheese Castle and I bought a, a T-shirt for $7 that says, okay, millennial on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's only at Mars Cheese Castle. <laughs> The album was recorded uh, at Columbia Studio B in New York City from October 12th through the November 20th of 1970. And then they picked recording back up uh, in January and February of 71 at Columbia Studio B, as well as A&R Recording Studios. These are very storied 
recording studios in New York City. Columbia Studio is now uh, like an office space or something. So whoop-de-doo. You know, the first time I heard this LP, so, so when I got into the Beatles, it was like 88. And I was just really into just the Beatles. I was too busy getting into those records, you know, because there's a lot to get into there. We're still talking about this, you know, decades later, and I still love this music. And then the first solo record that came out when I was in my personal mania was Flowers in the Dirt. Now I know, I know. To me, it just, it's, that's not my record. So I was hesitant to listen to any kind of solo Beatles material, especially from Paul, until I was like 18 or 19. And I put Ram on when I was working at a golf course in the desert. I was this like 18 year old kid. I'd never played a game of golf in my life, but I'm working at these golf courses and I have to get up at like five in the morning and I have to wear this golf shirt and I have to iron it so that there's creases on the sleeves, like whatever that was. I don't know. It's weird, but it was like a thing, you know, at the resort I worked at, (laughs) but I would put this record Ram on and I just fell in love with it. And I, I think I, I just tied a lot of my love for it with the kind of the strange domestic chores I found myself doing at age 18 when I should have been out like partying and being whatever, an 18 year old. But suddenly I'm like, oh, I kind of like this life that Paul is is showing me of like the farm life and Linda. And anyway, I I fell in love with this record. And uh, in preparation for this show, I listened to this record three times in like 24 hours. And I loved it equally each time. Yeah, this is one that I have loved since I got the CD. I, I, the only thing I knew from this, I had the Uncle Albert 45 on Apple wow. when I was in fourth grade. That would have been 84, 85. I remember buying it at the Downtown Records on State Parkway in Chicago. Because by then I was already I was already deep into tug of war and deep into pipes of peace. So when I saw the 45. Leftover stock on Apple by the mid 80s So that was pretty cool And I wore that 45 out When I first heard this record Because I I bought the McCartney CD at the same time Like I said I was 13 So my parents would have bought it for me when it came out Yeah. And the first McCartney record I think because it ended with Corrine Acrore Am I saying that right? I've never said I think so, right It's something like that (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, what's going on here, man? And like, (laughs) hey, man Um but Ram, I just remember putting on Ram felt, I can't explain it. Ram felt comforting. Ram totally. felt joyful. Yeah. Ram felt uplifting. Ram felt like this melodic journey. Yes. And many years later, I feel the exact same way. It is the McCartney album I own on the most formats. Wow. I have the original on Apple. I have the Capitol Repress. I have the Columbia Vinyl. I have the Columbia Cassette. I have the original Capitol CD issue. I have the Archive Collection. I've got the Archive Collection Mono Record. I've got the Archive Collection Album. And I just, I have the 8-track. Uh, I have the the Capitol cassette reissue from the early 90s with the kind of the white border because I got it at some second-end store a few years ago. And not that they have a beat master. I love to look at this record, I love to hold this record, and more importantly, I love to hear this record. So, uh, you know, much like everything, Tony, because we love the Beatles, doing our homework for the show is not homework, but some homework's just more fun Doing 17 discs of Plastic Ono Bam was wonderful in its own way. I'll be in therapy for six years. I will be anyway. (laughs) But doing RAM homework, it was just just a beautiful exercise in hearing this album multiple times in multiple formats. Totally. 
Now let's talk about the Half Speed Masters for a minute because this is the most recent release. So what is, what's a Half Speed Master? What's that all about? So that is in the process of pressing the actual vinyl, the Lacquer Masters, they do it at 16 and two-thirds RPM, which is half the speed of 33 and a third RPM. And the source material is also played back at the half speed. So the record will sound like it's supposed to. So it doesn't mean when you buy this, everything's slow. That'd I'm be disappointed. Fun. <laughs> I was hoping for a real slow version. No, no. What it means is that the the dynamic experience is going to be fuller. It means the high frequencies are going to be less lost in the mix. When you do it at the full speed or the regular speed, those high frequencies get rolled off. When you do it at the half speed, the high frequencies become mid frequencies. So you can hear them better. And also the low frequencies become bassier, bigger, boomier. So it's going to be a more, I suppose, a more dramatic listening experience. Now, I did God, not it's a, get... It's, it's, a, it's like magic fucking Alex over here. <laughs> Yeah, there's a toilet that actually has all the backing vocals come out of it. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alexis uh, from Apple Electronics. Uh, I would like to say hello to all my brothers around the world and uh, to all the girls around the world and to all the electronic people around the world. So I did not get the uh, Half Speed Masters. I have not actually had access to a turntable for four months. I will when I return to my home. That's uh, prison for you. <laughs> No, I was renting a place. I was not in prison. I was working on a television show. I'm just wrapped. Um, but you got them. Did you, so let me let me ask you just as someone who's heard a fair amount of versions of this record, did you notice anything different to this record? Tell me about the Half Speed Master experience. Yeah, I mean, this is a record, uh, you know, a little like Pepper when that was reissued and remixed in 2017. I could tell a bunch of different differences because it was remixed and Giles Martin tried to make it kind of like the a stereo version of based on the mono, you know, all that sure. stuff. The Half Speed Master was not remixed. So if anything, it's another remaster of the record, not unlike the 2012 Archive Collection, which was not a remix, but a remaster. Uh, I mean, it'd be easy for me to say, like, I noticed higher highs and lower lows. There are certain things like some of the guitar and Smile Away sounded sharper. Cool. Um, that makes you know, sense. Like, yeah, there's little things here and there, but... Other than it's beautiful to have, the main reason I bought it, for all you label nerds out there, is I did not own RAM with the original UK Apple pressing on it. The Apple and the typeface look different in the States than it did in Europe. <laughs> and it's cool to hold a copy of RAM that has that beautiful dark green Apple with the smaller black typeface on it. It's a beautiful listen. I am not enough of an audiophile where I can sit here and tell you, uh, the half speed master is essential. You'll hear things you've never heard before. I don't know if that's the case. It sounds gorgeous, but I don't know that you really need it if you have that 2012 archive collection LP, which also sounds gorgeous. In essence, TJ, half speed mastering results in a superior sounding record that is both richer and fuller in the low mid frequencies and smoother at the top end. The stereo image is hugely improved and the overall sound is focused and engaging. 
Yes, and I could tell all of that on my $99 Bluetooth turntable. (laughs) (laughs) On your Fisher Price (laughs) plastic record. (laughs) 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 With the Braille, those Braille records. Yeah, which my son sometimes tries to put on a regular turntable, and next time he does that, let's say he won't be walking again. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Buy a Fisher-Price stereo system from a toy store that's music to your ears. KB Toy Stores. Shall we deep dish? Shall we go track by track? I would love to, Tony. And let's start. There's also a couple things where I've compared it to the mono issue. Oh, great, because I have never heard that. Yeah. You know, there's differing thoughts online about whether the mono issue that came out in 2012 is a fold-down, meaning they took the stereo and Mm. just kind of had it in one channel, or if it was mixed for mono, I actually think it's the latter. I think it is mixed for mono. And there's two or three songs where I could really tell a difference. Stuff like Heart of the Country, there's stuff I could not tell a difference. There's a few that I really could, and I'll certainly point those out. Oh, great. Looking forward to that. One of the songs that's amazing in mono and really just slices through my my uh, headphones is the opening track, which sounds like he's saying, piss off, cake. Yes, I think he's saying piece of cake, but I don't know that that's ever been proven. Well, it's yeah, he copped to saying piss off cake and oh, did he? Yeah. In in a mojo interview in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. He said it's yeah, it's supposed to be piece of cake, but it sounds like piss off cake, uh, which was geared towards John. It was geared. (laughs) It was he I think he was at least in 2001. He was kind of looking back on it as maybe more like schoolyard barbs versus like true vitriol this is a rough period for john and paul in the media they were kind of going at each other the beatles were going through that divorce right yeah the money got involved in the lawsuits and you know that kind of stuff that no fun stuff one of my favorite Beatles books is also one of the darkest. I think Peter Doggett and it's called You Never Give Me Your Money. Yeah. And it is it's tricky because it's such a great book that's also very very depressing. I it's a great read. I remember you recommended that to me years ago and I I read it and I really liked it, but yeah, it is it's truly a bummer. Yeah. But this song is it's fun like uh he's able to use his talent for hooks and pop. To get his message across, much like Imagine, you know, with John. John was able to do that as well. But yeah, there's three lines that are kind of geared towards John and John and Yoko. Too many people preaching practices. I think the whole give peace a chance thing was starting to piss Paul off. The whole idea of like, wait, I thought this is supposed to be free. And the, the Beatles were about being free and being yourself. Now you're telling us what to do. And, you know, there was that. And then you took your lucky break and broke it in two, which... That is a great line. Let's face it, you know, say what you will about the its intent or, you know, its malice towards John. It's a great line. I like this song. I think it's a great album opener. There's some great percussion on it. I really like that guitar line that goes on during the uh, what can be done for you part. It's kind of a snaky, just a little melodic line that plays its role very well. It's not showy. It's just it's a great song. Too many people 
one thing I didn't realize until fairly recently is all the basses overdubbed. Oh yeah, on this, which is the whole record. even more fascinating. That he was just playing guitar and singing, or playing piano and singing, yeah. and then later overdubbed the bass. And this is one where in mono you can really hear the bass really nicely. And those guitar solos in mono, it's the same solo. It's not like a different mix. They just come searing through the speakers from the song that's unhinged in the last thirty seconds. It's wonderful. And one more little bit of trivia for this song for you, Tony. He uh, played this in concert in the 05 tour. Uh, I don't think he even did this live in 72. I think it was the first time he'd ever done this live was in 05. I think, all right, Beatle nerds, tell me if I'm wrong. Here comes the buzzer or the ding. Uh, but he segued into she came through the bathroom window and it was this double moment of glory of underperformed Paul McCartney classics on that 05 tour. It was, it was heavenly. Yeah, yeah, that must, yeah, must have been blown away by that one. It's a good song, still holds up. I think Rolling Stone or something ranked it as like the third best Paul McCartney solo song ever. Not sure about that, but it's a good song. Yeah, after Motor of Love and Oui Le Soleil. <laughs> Don Latte, Travailler! Paul, we all like dance music. You don't have to put it on your records unless you call it the Fireman. <laughs> there you go. So the next song on here is Three Legs. And this is another one that the Beatles interpreted as kind of being about them. Yeah, Ringo and George took offense to this one. And, you know, yeah, it doesn't help when you've got the picture of the Beatles, the actual insect Beatles copulating on the back of that sleeve there. And you've just heard a song called Too Many People etc. So I think too many people set the precedent for the rest of this album to be looked over by the other Beatles and fans or whatever for attacks, if they're there or not. Paul claims this was just like him doing a blues thing. But, you know, there are some lines in there, you know, like when I thought I could call you my friend, you let me down, things like that. Like it could have been on his mind. You know what I mean? Just that in the air, like, oh, I, I lost all my friends. Where did they all go? Well, and I think when I had that feeling, I turned to HBO and I loved, oh my God, the Friends reunion. <laughs> Tony, the emotion of seeing Joey see his old couch again on that set. O-M-G. I mean, Ross and Rachel and other white people and whoever the fuck it is. Oh my God. Oh, Did the fuck. chimpanzee make a, make a pack for the reunion or whatever it was? <laughs> <laughs> they did have a monkey, right? Marcel, where are you going with that disc? You are not putting that on again. Marcel, okay, if you press that button, you are in very, very big trouble. <laughs> One of the best things of the song, Denny uh, Sewell's drumming on this, he gives it a jazzy flair that just, this song is kind of brisk and restrained at the same time. I love the tone and feel. I love Paul's lyric. Well, when I walk, when he's got kind of almost a vaudeville type of delivery on this. Well, when I walk, when I walk, on my horse upon a hill. When I walk, 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 on my horse upon a hill. When I lay me down, will my love love me? A dog is here. 
no other rock singer has ever done a better job of playing it straight and also turning it on its ear. That's why I love Paul's voice so much. He could do so much with that voice. Yeah. Yeah, he could. Yeah, as will be evidenced later on in this record, too, when he gets into more comedic territory. I will say this, you know, this is a file under Who Cares? If it were up to me, I would have taken one of the B-sides maybe and put it in the, the two slot here. This is perhaps my least favorite song on the record. That said, I don't hate it. I just think there are stronger songs. And maybe maybe I'm just not a fan of 145 stuff, even though I am. <laughs> I'm surprised, too, because there's picking on this song, which you love. Yeah, it's not the Julia picking, though, you know. It's the pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, chip, 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 a little, pick a little more, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little. <laughs> yeah, it's that. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, her kind of woman doesn't belong on any committee. Of course, I shouldn't tell you this, but she advocates dirty books. Dirty books. Chaucer, Rabelais, well, for me, the record really takes off with the uh, title cut, we'll call it. We'll call it the, the title cut. Who cares? Ram on. Which when I was doing my research on this, I didn't ever put this together. But Ram on. Ramon. Paul, Paul Ramon. Ramon. Yeah. I never put that together. Well, and Phil Ramon, who would go on to produce Once Upon a Long Ago from the British Only All the Best. He was involved with this record, too, because he was over at A&R. That's right. The, the R is Ramon. And, trivia, the Ramones were named after Paul Ramon. I never knew that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Did you ever get into them? A little bit. Like, my first Ramones memories, Blitzkrieg Bop from National Lampoon's Vacation. Sure, yeah. Well, that first record is, I mean, start there. Every song on that first record is great. The first three records are amazing. Yeah, and then they got produced by Phil Spector and all that. But the Ramones are great. I'm a, bit, I'm a fan. Ramones are kind of like a hybrid Survivor Ario Speedwagon of that era. Hey, oh, let's go. They're falling in a straight line. They're going through a tide once. The kids are losing their minds. So, yeah, Paul Ramon, that was Paul McCartney's stage name for the 1960 Scottish tour they did with Johnny Gentle. And he later used that pseudonym when he drummed on a Steve Miller track called My Dark Hour. Yes, which is a good track. It's very Steve Miller. Yeah. Yeah. It has like those telltale Steve Miller guitar, like bendy, bend up, licky things. <laughs> it doesn't have the. Ramon, Ramon. Uh, I love this song. It's Paul playing a ukulele for the first time on a, on a record. <laughs> Not just, <laughs> he's magic. He just picks up a ukulele, <laughs> makes it, makes magic. But I just love this melody in the song. Like this song could be stuck in my head all day and I'll just love it. There's whistling on it. It's short. It's sweet. This plays into the whole indie pop thing. Ramon, if 
I've always loved the spirit this conveys. And this is the song where Paul basically plays everything on this. He's doing the percussion. He's doing, uh, he's only joined by Linda on vocals. That's the only other person on this. I love how weird the beginning is. It almost starts like in a weird different key. There's kind of like guitar noodling and piano noodling. Yes. And then you're in a different key with these, these weird chords that aren't traditional. Yeah. Uh, it almost sounds tentative and unsure and hesitant. And then when that lovely little melody starts, it's so beautiful. He, he pulled this out on tour a few years ago. I don't know if you, you saw him do this when he was in LA, but he's done this a couple times lately. And it's one that like only 25% of the fans know, but the ones who know really get how special it is. Yeah. No, I, I don't think he pulled it out at Dodger stadium. I don't <laughs> oh, <sorry>. stupid <laughs> drive a Dodge Ram. <laughs> Stupid. How come how come this record was ever used to promote Dodge Ram? Because <laughs> McCartney has integrity. <laughs> you like a hemi? We'll eat at home. Dodge Ram. <laughs> hemi. If, if you drive one of those in a city, you're troubled. If you drive one of those in the city, you have issues with your own masculinity, my friend. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. We're trying to park in that parking space is the tiniest thing ever. Why are you driving a Dodge Ram? You're in Lincoln Park. <laughs> Not the band. I know they're your second favorite band. L I N K I N apostrophe park. <laughs> apostrophe park. Yeah. Yeah, they are my favorite band. Yeah. Uh, check it out. I do a uh, Lincoln Park uh, podcast, the Untitled Lincoln Park podcast. <laughs> uh, it airs when this airs. So you got to pick one or the other. Untitled Lincoln Park Podcast. Like and subscribe. Well, I got some news for you. Dear Boy, the next song on Ram, was the second to last song, the penultimate, song to be recorded for Ram at these sessions. The last song was Dear Friend, which uh, was was put on Wildlife, but it was recorded on these sessions. So this is another song, Dear Boy, that Lennon thought was about him. And uh, it wasn't. It wasn't, but Dear Friend was, which was Dear Friend was his peace offering. It was an attempt to reconcile. Ringo's peace offering was called Peace Dream and a song that we've all heard and nobody remembers. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dear Boy was about Linda's first husband, right? Yeah, a guy by the name of Joseph Melvin C. Jr. from Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, he was the father to Heather McCartney who can be seen in uh, probably in the upcoming Peter Jackson uh, Let It Be film. Did you ever hear her? There's a bootleg of her like taking the microphone during those Beatles sessions. No, I haven't. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. In a way, she's almost competing. This is like a seven, six-year-old, seven-year-old girl. She's like almost competing with Yoko's bit. <laughs> I guess she's just like <laughs> kind of... Oh, I think you meant Linda. Heather, you mean? Yes, of course. I have yeah, seen that. Heather. I thought you meant... <laughs> I'm like, Linda grabbing the mic? I'm like, what's that? 
<laughs> no, little Heather. Heather. Yeah, that was uh, Heather was born in 62. And that was when, yeah, that's when Linda and uh, Joseph were together. There's a great scene in the Peter, uh, no spoilers, but in the Peter Jackson Let It Be, where Paul, Joseph, Linda, Yoko, and John all play whirly ball and then go to Dave and Buster's and just laugh. <laughs> oh, do they laugh? Yeah, it was the time, it was the best time in the Beatles' career. They had. <laughs> They got beers. They got local beers. You know, they played darts. Uh, they, I, I think George won like a big puffy bunny out of one of those claw machines. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Jackson's going to really tell the truth on those sessions. I can't wait. There's a scene where Ringo walks around with all the tickets around his neck to George Martin's <laughs> instrumental. This boy, he's got a camera, falls in the water. <laughs> Just gets a new one from the guy behind the counter. <laughs> Gives him his tickets. Luckily, they're at a camera shop, so it's all okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this is this is a song, like a message to Linda's ex saying like, how could you not see the beauty that I see in this woman that basically like saved his spirits? We'll call it that. We'll call it that. You know, I don't know. I don't know how dark things got for Paul after the Beatles breakup, but they got pretty dark. He was drinking and kind of isolating himself. And this is one of the most straightforward lyrics that Paul has ever done. That's autobiographical and then owed to Linda. And in fact, this was one of those songs that was played at Linda's funeral. I guess you never knew, dear boy, what you had found. I guess you never knew, dear boy, that she was just a I want to talk for a second because you're a big Beach Boys fan. I am too. You're you're a bigger Beach Boys fan than I am. I know I'm a Brian Wilson guy. You're a Mike Love guy politically. It's okay. We <laughs> America's family band. <laughs> to Mike Love, what a jerk taking the Beach Boys away from Brian Wilson. Like, I mean that that's a whole other show. It just gets me so mad. But a couple things in Dear Boy, the Beach Boys harmonies in this thing, they're kind of Beach Boys and they kind of presage mm -hmm. 10cc. We know Paul and oh, Eric sure. Stewart had a relationship going forward, certainly on um, Tug of War and, and Pipes of Peace. And of course, they wrote together on Press to Play. But I feel like the harmonies are just so thick and rich and different. This is another one. Both the half speed master and the mono, this is a song that sticks out because of the way the harmonies play differently with both of those masterings. I love the bongos. The, the bongos almost sound impatient at the beginning. Are those bongos or congas <laughs> at the beginning? They almost they they sound like th there's like a tempo fight going on that gives the song some restlessness at the beginning that I think yeah. it's not just like a straight ballad. It, the whole thing feels restless. 
Yeah, it calls for some inventive drumming. You can't just put just like a regular beat on this. It's kind of like you're jumping around, you're leapfrogging around percussively on this song. I think it's really great. I, yeah, and when they when it breaks down and it, it's like the piano and the guitars are doing kind of this those very fast, I think they're triplets. I can't tell, but you know, the... Yeah. I love that. To me, this is like a pocket masterpiece because it's what? It's two minutes? Something like that. Yeah. It makes you wonder what people were thinking in 71 to not hear this and go, oh my God. Because what would be the Beach Boys equivalent by the early 70s? Is this like, is this Friends era? What what era Beach Boys is this? This is getting around Surf's Up, I think. And okay. it's, it's pre-Carl and I think it's right before Holland. So, dude, I, yeah, I've pre carled a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pre carl pre carl and the passions is what I mean. <laughs> By the way, check out the hot carl, uh, 1998 <laughs> at midnight at Improv Olympic. If see Canali and Scoop, yeah, <laughs> love Scoop those guys. Um, I do too, man. So, Tony, here's what's going on we're about to get into the biggest song off this record. One of the early masterpieces, one that's never been performed live. And I know what you're thinking. What song is it? Well, this episode is now, I think, going to be officially a two-parter. Two-party. Because we have gone on, and this next song, if we cut after this and wait till the to the side ends... If we were to go all the way through Smile Away, it would be another 15 minutes. So we're going to let you go enjoy your day, everybody. Go put some sunscreen on. It's hopefully summer where you are. And Ram 50th, part two. Hey, quick programming note. Our next episode actually comes out on June 19th. So next week, we'll be doing something a little bit different in observation of the Juneteenth holiday. And then, of course, we'll be back the following week with part two of the Ram 50th anniversary release. So again, don't miss next week's Juneteenth episode, and we'll be back to wrap up Ram Part 2 on June 26th. And Ram 50th Part 2 will continue next week with two different co-hosts. Take care and fuck off. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Is that all right? What do you think? Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. 